What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 58 of the podcast. We are thrilled you can join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses. That is what the show is going to do. We're going to interview an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. We're going to talk about their loss. We're going to break down all the components of that loss and talk how they plan to move forward and learn from that loss. How often do you blame a game on bad dice? I do it. Chester does it. Our guest last week does it. Everyone does it. It's just a thing. We are venturing to the Maryland Open in 2022, where Brad Chester claims to have won a championship, which is in dispute. So we're going to really just do a deep dive, if you will, into whether or not he actually won the game. But we're going to be talking to our guest today, who played Tau yet again into Eldar Biltan. Did I say that right? Biltan? Biltan? Something like that. You, You all know what I'm talking about. But so buckle in. This will probably be our last Tau episode in a while, but it's going to be a wild ride. Now, this is part one, and this part we'll be analyzing the game. We'll be talking about common mistakes. We'll be talking about secondaries, target priority, and all of the above. Now, part two, or the Bradning, if you will, is when we are going to talk to the player about all the things they plan to do moving forward, whether that's their list, how they plan to your list, my list, Brad's list, everyone's list, and all the archetypes up above. We're going to talk about new strategies, and don't forget the elite player mindset. My co-host is the kings of shoots and ladders. He is the POG champion from the mid-90s. He actually quit 40K for a period and won the Sorry World Championships. This is a true story. This year, in 2022, he won the Rocky Top Open. He won the Maryland Open, supposedly, a couple weeks ago. He won a couple team events. I don't know, Adepticon and BFS. Uh, I don't know. He might have done that as well. Mr. Brad Chester. I love the Blake you started with. I just got back from vacation. I am unbelievably excited to have this man on, but in a pure nothing voice, like you were just stone cold, hurting our guest feelings. He started to cry just a little bit. I saw a tear in his eye. I flew in a plane for the entire day. I landed. And I'm getting on the chat. I am very excited to talk to Ganyo today. I want you to know that. Not, no, not, no spoilers, <laughs> sorry, but I, I'm thrilled. Man. But my energy level for my voice, it, it's not it's not reflecting my heart, Ganyo. You need to know that. I'm genuinely concerned about how you said this is going to be your last towel interview for a while. What's is something happening? Uh, no, because um, <laughs> you're going to win every game you play until LVO. So I'm not sure anyone else is going to be playing Tau. So um, <laughs> I just don't, you're not going to be on the show, man. You're going to win too much. That's that's the issue. Oh, that's a good save. Yeah. So <laughs> well, let me introduce you, man. Our guest today. He, he used to be really good at the game. We've introduced him before. He used to just dominate this game. And then he, he took a long break. I think he had a kid somewhere in there. He came back this year, and he's actually been on a bit of a streak, if you will. He's an excellent painter. He's an absolute excellent player. He's been on Team USA several times. Mr. Andrew Ganyo. He was actually captain, bro. You keep forgetting that one. He was Captain America for a while. It's all right. I, I blocked out most of those memories, too. <laughs> hey, we talked about this, man. I was gone when you did this, so it didn't happen to my house. I was like, who's Ganyo? Ganyo's just some dude. He knows it was because I just kept calling him about, get, about Team America. <laughs> I, it's my six-year-old man's command. 
Begonia, you've kind of been, I guess you and Ogden have kind of been the kings of Tau lately. You've been taking all the overalls. He's been dominating with 100 scores just over and over and over again. So I, I respect it, man. I respect the return. The return to greatness through Tau. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put that effort in, but yeah, Ogden's definitely been, uh, on, on much more of a tear than me that with, uh, consistent, I want to say, I looked at his ITC recently or something like that. And it was like, I'm like 10, 20 events. I was like, good God, he's been crushing it. I think he's, is he first still? He's like 39 and one or something. It's insane. Yeah. It's actually crazy. He's had a, he's had a heck of a season. He wouldn't be on the art of war unbroken podcast. It'd be on the one where they invite the winners. <laughs> hey, he's been on the show. Is it twice? I tried. He's, to, like, I tried twice. To him, he's, like, he's like, I have to be the first three time guest. And then he like yeah. went on 39 and one streak. I'm like, well, I can't help you there, man. I don't know what to tell you, but uh, tell me. So tell me about the event. Maryland open. Brad claims that he won it all, but Ganyo won the overall, which everyone knows is more important. So I feel like, Ganyo is actually the winner of the Maryland Open. That's the dispute here. You know, I, I will say I did not get the best general, but I did, however, get the battle master or whatever that is. However, I, we know that I'm super passionate about overalls, and I do think they should get way more respect. And I like the fact that they gave the overall as the final trophy, which is what they used to do forever, literally for 15-ish years of my 40K life. That's how it worked. It was the overall was the top, top, uh, award and then i got and then i got my best general right before that it helps you out a little bit too you know you don't paint so you're just like i'll just take whatever the paint we've nil paint sans paint that's the award i want well i mean I, I really they only scored it on a six range and i i really felt john Gagne got about a three and a half so oh. the paint scores were on a very uh a very low scale so it was a little dicey and i'll, I'll also be honest when they when they were announcing the awards knowing that the paint scores would be fairly tight there was a little bit of concern you could definitely see in my eyes when he was doing the award. He goes, you know, this award goes to the person, you know, who, who has, you know, the best, you know, they played well, they paint well. Maybe they didn't take the strongest army. And at that moment, my heart went, I'm down crisis suits. He's not talking about me anymore. <laughs> army. But yeah, I, I did manage to uh, to get the the overall there, which was which was really cool. I have to give some props out to Anthony Birdsong. Well, he let me crash at his house, which was magical. But that's the first time I was at his store, Tables of Towers. And that thing is out of control amazing. That is a beautiful store. I saw some pictures, but I wasn't quite ready for it when I showed up. He had everything in multiple rooms and streaming rooms. And the streams were on giant giant screens and stuff like that it was pretty pretty tasty it was a good place have you been have you been you've been there before right i haven't you know it sounds like you're like pitching it when you talk about it but like in all of my years of gaming outside of like warhammer world and those sorts of places you know game stores can be nice and that generally just means clean um that is by far the nicest game store i've ever been do they slam out events too, man? They're constantly, you constantly yeah. see, see stuff on the ITC or like, you know, BCP on there. I'm just like, oh, that store's having another event. All right. Oh, they're having another 100 person GT. Excellent. Well, what, what a lot of people don't realize too, I think, is that like they think, you know, oh, Maryland opened at Table and Towers. Maryland opens by Table and Towers. I have no idea, you know, the business relationship as far as like what he charges people, but I'll say like when those events come through, I'm pretty sure he's pretty much like he's he's hosting it. Like he's providing like a good venue for people to have events. So like Burson played in this, he wasn't part of the event at all, but like he's just like opens his doors to all of these different events. So like it's a huge thing for like the the hobby and the tournament scene in like this region. Um that people just like can put on events there and he has space for I mean, I think he can go 
somewhere between 100 and 200 just in his like his space is there and he's willing to just like dedicate his store to it like he did for one of the like the local guys who wanted to put on like a battle for Alzheimer's tournament because of uh, I think someone in his family that had passed let him run the tournament there everything went to charity he supports it he you know his terrain his time like it's it's pretty wild it's a nice ass store and he's uh definitely opened his doors for it so it's cool yeah that's that's awesome man and the event looked really really cool when I was watching the footage of it I was keeping track of Brad. I was like, he's got to pull it out. He's going to do it. And then Ganyo came out of nowhere and beat him. He did not beat me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's neither here nor there, man. We're going to talk about the game on that. So let's talk about the tournament itself, though. There was a couple of things that were way different about this tournament. But let me give you your your thoughts on this. We had one big blocked building, which was considered completely blocking. And then all the other buildings were considered effectively glass houses, which was significantly different. Like literally, if you touch the terrain, you can see everywhere around. No true line of sight, just you just do. Uh, the other thing was, is there was no battle points. It was just straight win-loss tournament with your opponent's uh, strength of schedule or win path. I couldn't remember what was the deal. So I think it's your opponent's win percent. Was actually your your breaker as far as how they ranked you. I think that's interesting because you get things like knights that stand a little bit better chance there, I think. If you big knights, at least. You know, things that can tap a building and see the, see the entire – things that shoot well – and oh, yeah. in return, take big shots back. It, that's just massive for them. That, that was my first game was against uh, Jonas. And he literally moved his knight up and touched and went, hey, what are you, what are you guys doing back there? And I was like, nothing. Leave, no, you open, leave me alone. <laughs> I will say, I think that abstracting the terrain like that is almost necessary for the game to some degree. Now, I know that they did it because, you know, they, I think they had, I think they're like Vanguard Tactics terrain sets. There's a couple different styles and there's different ways to build them. So, you know, if, if you're on like the, the Necron themed ones, there's there's kind of pinholes in all the walls that you can see through. And others were closed, yeah. You know, they also say like, and I like this sort of a thing, they do it all the time in the store and, and the others, mostly in the region, I don't know if everywhere does it, but like if your knight won't fit because the terrain rules say four inches, it just fits between the pieces. You, well, you still can't walk through a wall. Let, let's be honest though. But you have to build it. Stop being douches in tournaments, everyone. Just be a gentleman and you know that your opponent's model fits just move on with your life don't be that guy yeah no one wants to make a terrain where the person's just blocked out like that's not the intention of any tournament if it is they just like shouldn't right. be tournaments like that's just yeah yeah i think i think some tournaments can be like if you play all those buildings as closed you can end up on some really weird situations where like on my first game every wall is completely solid i never saw anyone in the eldar i don't know people told they were there but <laughs> I, I never met him. Um, and then the next round, you're on the El- the Necron table, and you're like, I can see through all these holes. I mean, they're still behind the obscuring, and I'm not sure that they arrived, but um, I'm pretty sure the Eldar were there that game. So I think it, it definitely changes how the game plays. You know, they have it's a good bit of terrain. They have a it's like a six by nine forest. They have one big building that's like six to nine by twelve ish. It's like a big rectangle. Uh, that's the big one that's fully blocking, and then. Every player also has three smaller ruins, but the smaller ruins are still like six by nine and like a triangle. So like draw that's, the hypotenuse. So like, significant amounts of terrain. Yeah, there's there's six small medium buildings, two big buildings, and two forests usually. So and and actually two walls as well. So like it's still pretty heavy terrain in the scheme of things. But the glass building made us that like you can't just hide everywhere. You, if you touch something, you can see through it. It also decreases the number of arguments, which I like. Touch, see, no. Can you see through that hole and see a leg? No. Just, you got it. it worked out. What did, you think about, what did you think about the no? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, did. It, it was difficult. Thank you very much. But uh, it was, what did you think about the, the no battle points? I like what I think they were going for, 
but and I appreciate people trying to like innovate with things. If some other events have tried it, I personally am not a fan of it. I, I think that when people get into that boogeyman of like submarining for battle points, I think it is much more of a boogeyman than it is an actual problem. I think it's very rare that people do it. And I think more commonly by doing it, you actually hurt yourself because you make it the only way you can win is by being undefeated because you've now tanked your own battle points. I think it's a very dicey strategy that most people just don't do. And I think, you know, you create 10 problems trying to solve one. And as we saw in this one, uh, you created some scenarios and they acknowledged afterwards, they plan to like update and improve. You know, you've had scenarios where people realize like, because of a bad turn one, I will not win this game. And I can sit here for three hours and not win this game and get a, you know, carry the one, a zero, or I can call it now and still get my zero. Like it's, I get a zero or a one. That's all we input. So there's no point. Um, and I think they realized they didn't, they didn't realize that before the tournament, they realized it by the end. We told them that at the end. I, I just, it's my thing on that is, is if I mean, I'm still a big fan of differential because if you want people to play their turns out, if you want people to care about what their opponent scores, the only real way to do that is with differential because I just don't in a hundred, uh, whoever I don't care scale, as long as I get my points, I just have no real reason to try to stop you from getting points. And if you want me to do that, then you're going to have to give a reason to do that. And the only way to do that is differential. I think you take away players' agency too. And, and I think that never feels good. You just kind of make it non-interactive when you say battle points don't matter, but what matters is your opponent's win percent. So if my opponents drop, which is random, I can't help that. It's going to mess up my win percent. So, you know, amongst the other five and ones, who knows what our battle points were, but I was ranked like second to last in the five and ones competitive track. My opponents didn't do as well. And that you could say, well, then you had an easier path. You should be ranked lower. But like my path isn't under my control. Right. So I, you know, my friend Matt suggested to me, and I mentioned this to you, Brad, another time. You know, I, I think if if BCP supported it, a really cool idea would be keeping battle points using battle points, just like we do right now, just hide them from the players during the tournament. So now you can no longer intentionally submarine at all. Um, uh -oh. you can't go, ooh, if I get an 82, I get to play Blake, and that's a good match for me because he's playing knights. Um, I'm like, I don't know. Blake's ranked eighth and I'm ranked sixth or 20th. I have no idea how to target my score to play Blake. Right. My score is just. I, I like that a lot. I, I do like just random pairings on that because just play who you play. Try to get as many points as you can. If you do care about it, I don't know. I play in enough team events that I actually really do like differential. So that's kind of why I harp on it because I do like playing that style to grind out points. And I think it's a very fun way to play. That is true. It, it incentivizes you to play the game and do things, which is always a good thing. It incentivizes you to play the whole game is the yeah. big deal because you can just getting a couple points is a big deal, especially when you're on a zero 20 type scale, like three points is actually a decent, you know, that's yeah. scrapping out points. You also take your opponent down for every point you score. Unless you're uh, Tom Ogden, then you score hundreds. <laughs> even 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 on a twenty zero scale, he scored hundred. Twenty zero, he's getting hundreds. <laughs> it's uncanny. Uh, wait, before we start, uh, tell me what was your best unit over the weekend, and what do you think you're going to get rid of? After you did it, you don't even ask the question about it. You know what? Right. Hold on, that. You know what? Pause. We haven't even talked about your army. Tell us about your anti Eldar hate. Point on the dial where the Eldar have touched you wrong. <laughs> so yeah. I play against. Eldar a lot. They're like they're, they're actually like a very hard match for Tau, in my opinion. I think Ogden plays it. It's just such a different player than me. He's a much more aggressive player. I, I like to sit back and, and pick away and then win a very methodical game. Um, that's not a dig at Ogden. I think his way of playing it is probably much more correct. 
a lot of the time and my loss is probably attributed to how I approached the Eldar game that I played. But so because of that, like I wanted to find more tools to reach out and touch them, right? When indirect went away, Eldar are one of those armies that you just, it's very hard to see and get a hold of. And without indirect, it became a challenge for town. So a lot of the tweaks that I made were kind of geared around it. So um, did you want me to go through my list now? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give your opponent's list after that. Cool. So my list was uh, Precision Crisis Commander, kind of one of every gun, two marker drones, you know, the cheap version of a really shooting commander. He is the Thermo Flamer for fighting. Ten Kroot, five-man crisis squad that I usually used on ground, double plasma, missile, target locks, because AOC sucks. Two more marker drones, hammerhead, and then another patrol, which was an ethereal, the classic humble stave, sends a stone, so he's, you know, five up feeling of pain, gain a CP thing. Two marker drones, so all my marker drones are sitting on characters. Ten Kroot, then two times six battle suits. It was too many battle suits. Uh, they're the cheap 45-point loadouts. They're target lock, flamer, plasma, burst, and then target lock, flamer, plasma, and air burst. One unit with just a single air burst each. Then two more hammerheads and two sun sharks. Sun sharks. Oh, tell me that's the MVP. Tell me that's the MVP. 100% of the MVP. Those okay. planes were so rad. What sept were you? So I was, uh, I was Farsight. Can do. So we're going to talk about, this is game five, correct? Uh, it was four or five, yeah. So we are going to play against Daniel with his Biltan. Is it Biltan? Is that how you say it? Yeah, it is now. Biltan? <laughs> I mean, I'm the guy that can't pronounce woof, so woof. <laughs> so. <laughs> Tell us the list, man. Get into it. Farah, Farseer, Farseer Skyrunner. Three units of rangers. A unit of 10 Dire Avengers with Shredding Fire. Fire Dragons. A unit of Howling Banshees with, of course, Piercing Strike. A unit of Shining Spears. It's not really a unit. It's the Exarch and two guys that cheer him on as he kills people. <laughs> a unit of 10 Spiders with Web of Deceit, Double Fire Prism, a Crimson Hunter Exarch, and a Wave Serpent. So you guys were playing... What mission were we playing on this one, Ganyu? I'd have to look it up. It was a hammered anvil deployment. It may have been scouring. I can look in the packet real quick. It was quick. definitely scouring. That's, our, that's the only other hammered anvil we've had. Yep. We, I know. We were playing next to each other. It was definitely the scouring. Mm. So we're playing the scouring. You've got... You're going against this list. Do you remember what your secondaries that you were throwing down on this? This is, of course, before the update, so... Is the update in effect for events moving forward? Is that where we're at now? I think most uh, events going forward will probably be using it. This weekend's was kind of like barely any used it because it was so close. Right. That's that's what I figured. So next week, it's probably our inaugural new book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I took to the last. I did that a lot. It was the crisis units, stranglehold, and then I did R&D or aerospace, and I'm pretty sure it was R&D in this one because hammered anvil is kind of awkward to get some of those, like the other side one. You have to really be slamboing someone to get that back one. And R&D, if you outflank a crew unit, which I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, I did. And I got a spot in his backfield. You know, you can get your two home R&Ds super easy. You can just let a crisis unit do it with the ethereal, right? And they can just keep going on like nothing happened. One crew unit gets into one of their backquarters. You can need. It's the easiest thing ever versus like aerospace is kind of a more awkward nine if you're going first. So, yeah. Gotcha. So looking at this army, what were your thoughts? How did you think you were going to do? What was your general game plan for this match? So general game plan for this match, um, this to me looked a lot like the, so I hadn't even read Bealtan. Um, it looked a lot to me like the grab bag, all the way sort of a list, a um, little bit of everything. You know, I'm used to seeing the Banshees, 
the fire dragons are less common, but I'm used to seeing them. You know, none of the characters really surprised me. So my game plan usually against Eldar, deploy kind of defensively. Uh, I did have the redeploy in this list, um, so I can always go forward a little harder. I deep struck the suit units, the two big ones. That was definitely a mistake. Um, I kind of got too much into my own head about, I usually play that kind of like a really picky methodical game. And part of that is because of my usual opponent that plays Eldar. That's sort of like <laughs> the rhythm we've gotten into. And then, you know, when he played it a little differently, having him stuck in reserve was just a dumb move. And throwing the planes up generally early, the planes just do a lot of really good early damage. And they're not the easiest things in the world to kill. Like, they, they do die, but, like, uh, it's very rare that the planes don't make back really solid points because they come up, they have a marker and everything in range, and they get to just, you know, light something up plus do the bombing run. So the general game plan is stay back, throw the planes uh, from midfield. I try and set up terrains so that the midfield objectives are fairly open, blast people off of them, detach drones from tanks, or throw crew hounds up. Actually, no, I didn't have crew hounds in this list. That was when I said there should have been less suits. That was what the suit should have been. I got too much caught up in my own list spiral of, oh my God, I can fit another. Um, sometimes you just have fun with it. A little too much fun. Um, but I throw the two-man drones and things like that just to take strangle. I play the early turns uh, really conservatively because if I'm throwing two-man drones, which are essentially free to me, they're just a CP, is before the CP change, other people have to expose things that are more real. So I throw two drones, I lose nothing. Someone throws up a 50-point, 100-point unit to go clear them out, to take their own strangle. I kill that unit. By turn three, it's usually a bit of a lopsided game, and then I make my big push. I got caught out on this one, though. Foreshadowing for later. Yeah. So how did the, how did it pace out for you? So in this one, it looks... I mean, Elder have a lot of chaff that they could chaff you with. This guy had quite a bit in his own list here. I mean, it's not crazy, but you got like things like spiders. They can just get back and run. It's not Brad levels of trash. It's not Brad levels of trash, but there's still some trash in there that he can do some some pretty um, equivocal trades on you. And even trades where you can't really retaliate because he's going to be so invisible, basically, on the board. I, did, I should point out, though, that he also did have vectored engines on both of the prisons, which means that both yeah. of them, once a game, could battle focus back out of out of line of sight. That's yeah, fair. so one goes out, does the linked fire, blows something up, hops back. Next turn, his friend does it. That's pretty good. So pacing of the game. So I think I wasn't realizing how much I relied on either my opponent playing a little more passively, going first in general. So like the Sun Sharks were, were amazing, but they were too much of my pressure game, right? They, they kind of were my pressure game in a lot of ways. And so when he got first turn, I, I probably should have left them down and just been like, you're probably going to kill one, but whatever. Instead, I used the redeploy to throw them in reserve because I didn't want to lose them. Who knows if I would have lost both? I think I probably would have um, because the Crimson Hunter probably would have aced one really easily by itself because of the, I don't know. I mean, he played it correctly. I don't remember exactly what it was, but you know he can make like the exploding sixes and something. And auto six, I don't know. There's some Gilten Eldar madness and all of a sudden it's like, you took six pulse laser wounds. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and those planes are not that durable. You know, there's six, 12 wounds, four up saves. The fire prisms are always going to see another. They're planes, they're higher than everything. You know, so no matter what, if I left the planes, the boy, they were going to die. So I took them off. I deep struck my two six-man suits. Should not have done that in this match. And I think I learned that about the Elder Games, that you have to be able to pressure the mid-board. And I wasn't, because my planes were off-board. So he came up, blew the Crimson Hunter up, 
because of a mistake in the player place train that I made, which Chester pointed out to me after the game. He was like, why'd you set that up like that? You just moved this piece over and then no one could see your deployment. Then I was like, hey, well, okay, yes, that's true. That's, that's, that's right. I, okay. How would you do it? Um, I, I was very nice about it, I swear. Yeah. yeah about- um, you got to learn from your mistakes. Hey. And so, you know, T1, he killed a hammerhead that he managed to see a piece of when he moved out. It's hard to hide from Eldar tanks. They do move like 16 inches and shoot. That being said, in my own deployment zone in the player place terrain, there was no reason for me to take that shot. Lost a hammerhead. The plane came back, killed some, banged something up, killed something. I didn't do a ton of damage to me. I killed the plane in return. But because I didn't have my own flyers, uh, you know, his rangers are just chilling in midboard. And when I finally did get to chip at things, I kept leaving stragglers, unfortunately. And just like the way the dice were working, I kept leaving stragglers. I didn't have the prototype burst, so I didn't have a way to ignore wound caps. So Baharoth just completely disrespected me the whole game. He <laughs> stood him back up, and the Farseer, the dumb Phoenix gem, did it, and he stood him back up. And it was just like this maddening game of like being really on the back foot and and um, falling really far behind on points because I didn't play aggressively enough, and then just getting just skunked on primary really badly by like. Baharoth and the Farseer and these little straggler units that were sticking around. And I can blame dice for leaving stragglers. And the dice could have saved me from my own bad play for sure. The stragglers could have died, right? Baharoth could have not stood back up. That would have been great. Um, but ultimately, I could have also just had a better game plan where I wasn't in that position. What does Baharoth stand up on? Is it a four when you do the strag? All the, all the Phoenix Lords stand up at a four. Oh, and the Phoenix good. Gem, I think, is just automatic, right? Yeah, the Phoenix Gem is, yeah. is is different than it used to be because he used to actually do mortals to everybody around. As long as you did a mortal, uh, you got back up. Now it just is you get back up. That's pretty good. So do you feel like, how do you feel like you could have done better? I guess this is more of a part two question. I want to ask him part one. I was going to say, don't steal my, you're starting to steal my question, my thunder. This is how Blake treats me bad. I'm just, I'm, I'm beaten. beaten. You look abused. I... Y'all don't even know our relationship, so uh, <laughs> that's, um, ugh, y'all are speculating. But how do you feel like you could have uh, positioned those planes early on? Because I know that's a question everyone's asking. Everyone wants to know about these sun sharks. I do, and everyone listening probably does too. So, so I don't think there was a way I really could have played the planes better because I think they kind of are what they are, right? And that's sort of a match when it's an elder list. Like a lot of elder lists, like the Althway ones, and especially Hale. Like, uh, they have no way to deal with the planes. So for your typical Eldar matches, their only way to deal with the planes is, like, to be within 24 inches. And if they're on your backboard edge, 24 inches is really not where they want to exist. Like, they've got to, like, throw away, you know, their big shuriken cannon bike unit to kill the planes. Like, if that's how the planes die, then the planes, they can stay. (laughs) That's amazing. I'll take that trade. So, like, usually they stay on the board, right? I think I didn't realize how much of my pressure game was dependent upon them. And I think my real mistake wasn't the planes. I think they always should have went reserve. My real mistake was those two six-man suits had no business deep striking. They should have just been on the freaking board behind obscuring that I placed that, what is he going to do? Alpha strike it with a plane? All right. They each, you know, I lose a suit or two. Tops. Okay, it happens. And then they could have just jumped up into midboard or just stayed at that obscuring right shy of midboard and been like, Anything you bring out, I will murder. And then we could have stalled each other versus him just stalling me. Baharoth wouldn't have been jumping over there like an a-hole. Uh, <laughs> I, I put myself in a bad position and put all of my eggs into the plane basket and then went second and went, ooh, it got to go in reserve. Wait a minute. 
absolutely no board presence and I'm in a corner. Oh no. Like I realized on turn one or two that I was in a super bad position. It was like, mm, it's going to be a long three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel that you could come back from this match? During the match or come back from the loss? No, no, no. We'll talk, we'll talk about the, when we go to the branding, we will talk about the, the, the hindsight is twenty twenty perfect mojo way to come back from yeah. that. But during the game, after you realized your mistakes, what was your initial thoughts of how can I now, I've made some huge mistakes. What can I do to fix this? And did you think you were going to be able to fix it? Or were you kind of just hoping for the best effectively? Yeah, I mean, on turn one, I think was when I realized my mistake. Which is a sad time to realize it because it is like uh, as early as possible while still being completely too late. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I realized I looked over, I was looking down, I was starting to project. So, like, something I like to do in the early turns of the game is like try and project out both players' scores to think about where we're going to end up so I know what I need to do. And I started looking through my secondaries that I'd chosen. Like, if you remember, stranglehold. <laughs> and I went, I physically can't score it basically for two turns. That's not a good score for stranglehold. <laughs> All right, RD. Hey, well, I can R&D this quarter, but it's still going to be awkward. And then I went, all right, to the last. So, I mean, I've got the suits coming in, so they should be okay. So I'm okay, but, like, I can only get to one primary objective right now. I can't really get to the other one. He has obsec that he's thrown out. And that's when I realized, like, as he was starting his turn one and I was sitting there, like, projecting his scores as he started his moves, I was like, I'm in a really bad position. <laughs> and that's when I started trying to come up with a game plan of how to fix it. It, it, it didn't work, right? I, I don't remember what the final score of the game was, and thank God we didn't record it. So I'll just say it was close. It wasn't. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it was a world off, but I started having to make plays of just, like, being more, much more aggressive than I would want to be in worse ways because of how badly I positioned myself initially. So like I knew that like I put myself on such a back foot that like I had to go big in the late turns. Like the only way I was going to win it was like 12ing potentially on like four and five. So like I had to get like hyper aggressive. And that's not generally a good recipe against an elder army that really hasn't lost almost anything. Real bad. Yeah, because they, they, they're Hooray. everywhere. They're everywhere. They're they're basically if you want to take down that chaff and you can't. Ooh. They're like, hey, what if ten warfighters came out and shot you? And you know, they were guided and you were doomed. That'd be awesome. I'm like, yeah, well, that's my life. I have to live because I have to be here for one of these points to even have a chance to win the game. Seems legit. I want to see I'm excited to see what you're gonna do because Tal took a massive hit, a massive hit this last week. So I want in part two, that's my big thing I want to talk to you about. I want to see what you're gonna do moving forward. And I hope it's staying with Tal. I assume it is. It has to be. I'm staying with Tal. Yeah. My list went up just shy of 400 points. Ooh-wee, that's big. So your list is going to be different. That's 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 the take home. I just, I just played ch- six games of Ogden yesterday with New Tal. Is he doing something similar? Is he doing... I want Give us a spoiler. Change Mainly it's the gun loadout for him. Well, we'll see what Ganja's going to do after that. It's it, you, you change a lot of the gun loadout, and he lost, he lost two suits and basically went, drones are for the weak. I need more guns. If I remember right, when I heard about stuff he was changing, you know, I think he had to drop like a commander, some drones, change gun loadouts, and he kind of got there. For me, I think I'm just going to go a lot less suit heavy. I'm probably going to have very few. And I actually think that's okay. And, And if you talk to people that knew me, you know, a while ago, like when I first found out about this sort of thing happening, I was very much like, tower dead i had to repaint my sisters i was going for hobby track and all my paints on the good town models just ruined my season and then after a couple weeks i started i stopped pouting and moping and was like all right well i can work with this it's not so bad you've been running weird stuff that's that's my favorite thing about you on this like the the sun shark is like the cherry on top for me see it's oh man that's the best towel model 
It's so good. It's so awesome looking. Love it. But it's actually fairly cheap for what it does, too. Oh, it does an amazing amount of damage. I, I never it? had a match, but it wasn't great. 165. Hmm. Well, uh, let's talk about this stuff. I'm, I want to get into part two. I want to talk about this. I'm excited. Go about the branding, so, baby. I'm ready. Uh, all right. Thanks for joining us, uh, Ganya. We're going to get you in part two, and we're going to talk about all the things, all the stuff, as Brad would put it, in the Brad Hour. Join us for part two, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our other podcasts. We have The Art of War Vanilla with Nick Nadavati and Paul Murphy. We have The Art of War, very, very Australian, down under, with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are The Art of War Pistachio, the flavor you didn't know you loved till you tried us. Thanks for listening. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 